I would ask you again uh, this morning to take your Bibles, turn with me to the fifth book of the Bible, Joshua. We're going to be reading uh, Joshua chapter 2, a somewhat familiar story uh, to you. This was written quite a while ago. We're not real sure who the author was, but whoever it was was guided by the Holy Spirit so that the words that he wrote were God's words to God's people many years ago, but they're God's words to God's people today as well. And so as we read, I want you to hear God's word, and I would ask you to stand together out of respect for God's word as we read. Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim to uh, go over, uh, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent his message, this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I do not know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may uh, catch up with them. But she had taken them uh, up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax, which she had laid out on the roof. So the men uh, set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land uh, to you and that great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard, we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for, uh, for you when you came out of Egypt and what uh, you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage uh, failed because of you. For the Lord your God is the God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have sworn kindness to you. I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign uh, that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. On our lives, uh, our lives for your lives, uh, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. <clears throat> so she let them down by a rope through the window of, uh, for the house she lived in was a part of the city wall. Now she said to them, Go to the hills uh, so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. The men said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless 
you have brought your father and mother and brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be in his own head, so we will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if, uh, if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath uh, you, made to, you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you, sit, as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills where they stayed three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As, uh, as Christians, it is important for us to know what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, what, is it what is the reason for uh, calling ourselves Christians? We need a better reason than just to say, well, my parents were Christians, or my grandparents were Christians, or to say that I'm a Christian because that's just what I've always believed. Or even, I live in America, which is a Christian nation, therefore I'm a Christian. Hopefully, you know better than that. One of the things we strive to do here at Westminster Presbyterian is to, to teach you what it is that Christians believe. But not only do we strive to teach what it is Christians believe, but why we believe what we believe. I hope that everyone in here could clearly state uh, the essentials of the Christian belief, of the Christian faith. I, I believe that probably most of you could. If, it, if someone were to ask you, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? I believe you could give them a clear teaching of that. I believe you could explain that. This morning, what I want us to consider is how these beliefs that we have affect our lives. We can state clearly what it means to be a Christian, and we call ourselves a Christian, but how is it that these beliefs are affecting our lives? As we look at the story of, of Rahab here in Joshua chapter 2, uh, we're going to see how the knowledge of the true God affects different people differently. And uh, so with that in mind, I want you in your outline this morning, under the introduction, I've given you kind of a structure of Joshua chapter 2, and it's kind of a, a, what they call a chiastic uh, um, from the Greek letter chi, which is kind of like this, and so you see that it goes in and then it comes out, and uh, so you see the very first part of chapter 2, it begins with a commissioning from Joshua to the two spots. And then the then next thing that we see in verses 2 through 7, uh, the spies arrive into the land. And the, the big concern in verses 2 through 7 is the protection of the spies. And then the, uh, uh, the center of this chapter, verses 8 through 14, is Rahab's confession of faith. And then the spies escape. And the chief concern with their escape 
is the protection of Rahab and her family. We see that in verses 15 through 21. And then finally, we see the return of the spies to Joshua in verses 22 through 24. And so it kind of begins with Joshua, ends with Joshua. Uh, there's a concern of protection uh, to the spies, first of all, and then to Rahab. But at the very center, and I believe that the author's, this is the author's intent, the very center of this chapter deals with the confession of Rahab here. Um, Dr. Davis, uh, Ralph Davis, who was one of my professors in seminary, he, he likens this to a sandwich, if you will. And so it, it begins, uh, you know, in verses 1 and 22 and 24. The, the sandwich, those are the pieces of bread, okay? And uh, then uh, the, the concern for protection, both for the spies and Rahab, that's like the lettuce. But the main part, the meat of it all, is here the confession of Rahab in verses 8 through 14. So we're going to deal mostly with this um, with what we consider the meat here. There are a lot of other uh, issues that could be dealt with, and, and uh, if you come tonight, we'll talk about some of those uh, as we're reminded from uh, Joshua, uh, about things in Joshua chapter 2. Maybe you have some concerns about. But I want us, as we look at it this morning, to deal with the meat of uh, Joshua chapter 2, which is Rahab's confession of faith. And see, that belief and what that belief of Rahab uh, pushed her to do. And so the first thing I want us to note um, from Rahab's, um, Rahab's confession of faith, we see in verse 10, look with me here. Verse 10, she says, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what uh, you did to Sihon and Og, the uh, two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. The first thing about her confession of faith is that she recognizes the might of God, just how mighty the God of the Israelites really was. Rahab was aware of what... Uh, uh, God had done for his own people, how he had delivered them from the Egyptians, the world's one superpower at that time. It was the world's lone superpower. And here was a, a, a bunch of uh, slaves that God delivers from them when, uh, when they didn't, uh, didn't have any power to do it on their own. God did it for them. Uh, she mentioned specifically the crossing of the Red Sea. But I imagine that she was aware of all of the plagues that God brought onto the Egyptians as well. You remember some of the plagues, the turning water into blood. You remember the frogs showing up everywhere in their pantries and everywhere else. You remember the, the flies that came and the locusts and the hail that, that came on the people and the boils. And it all finally ends in the taking of the firstborn, right? The firstborn of, over all of uh, Egypt, unless you were in the one house that you, you cover, was covered with the blood and the death angel would pass over it. I imagine that she was aware of all of these things and God's power uh, there. And she was aware of God's power to get his people across uh, the, the Red Sea on dry ground. And she must have heard about how as they crossed on dry ground, then the uh, Egyptian army and their chariots and their horses run after them on, on dry ground. As soon as they get out in the middle of it, God lets the sea come back together and all of them drowned. 
She's heard of this, and she knows of God's a mighty power in this. And she, she's heard about the power of God for these, these slaves who really knew nothing about warfare, but they've become a nation, and they're out here in the, in the wilderness wandering around, and these Amorite kings come up against them, supposedly some pretty powerful Amorite kings, Sihon and Og, and the Lord gives them into their hands as well. She recognizes the fact that God is leading them to give them the land that he had promised to them and that she was part of the people who were there that God was going to have to get out of there. You may recall as we talked about it briefly uh, last week about uh, God being faithful to his promise and we looked all the way back to the promise that God gave to Abraham back in Genesis 15 about all the land. And this land was going to be theirs. And, and God was faithful to his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to, and to Moses and to all of the rest of the people during that time. God was faithful to them, keeping his promise to them, even though it wasn't fulfilled in their lifetime. As we saw from Hebrews, they were, they were looking forward to God fulfilling his promises. They died still in faith. They knew that God was going to be faithful to fulfill his promises to all of his, all of his people. But as we look back in Genesis chapter 15, we recall that um, as, uh, as Abraham was, was in this covenant with God, God was making this covenant with Abraham and promising him the land, he says that there's going to be 400 years before they get there. 400 years at least before I give you the land. And the reason for the wait, if you look at it in Genesis 15, he says, because the sins of the Amorites are not complete. In other words, these people are sinful, they're rebellious against God, and God's going to bring judgment on them, but he's not until it just gets so bad. Maybe with your own children, um, you, would, you would think, uh, boy, I really don't want to spank you. Don't do that anymore. They do it again. I don't want to spank you. And finally, they just do it enough to where you figure the, the last resort here is I got to spank you. Okay, take this and multiply it. You know, a hundred times here you have a people that are in rebellion against God, and their iniquities are great. Uh, think of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is the type of things that are going on here in the land. And God says, when their when their sins get and their iniquities get so great, I'm going to drive them out of the land. That time has come. Joshua is bringing the people to come into the land. These people whose iniquities and offenses to God have become so great that he's ready to say, I'm going to discipline them by driving them out of the land. So people in the land seem to know that this is coming. They seem to know. They've seen God's power of what he has done. And so they know that it is coming upon them. Now as... as Rahab um, relays this to the spies saying, I know the power, I know the might of your God. She's showing that her faith has some, some content. We say, yes, I believe. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Well, what do you believe? You, your faith has to be in more than just faith. It has to be faith in God. And who he is and who he really is is he's revealed himself to us in his word. Not, his, not a faith in a God that I've made up in my head. It's a faith in the real God who really exists. 
This is to be the content of our faith. This was the content of her faith. Uh, how can you believe in a God who you know nothing about? Everyone's faith has to have content to it. And our content is that the God has revealed himself to us in his word. The God who is, who is uh, and who we believe is almighty. He's the creator, the sustainer of all the universe. The one who sent his own son into the world to die for our sins. And in his power he rose, he, he, he brought him up again from the dead to give him life. And has promised all who have trust in him that he will give us life as well. We have faith and the content of our faith is in the God who has the power to save all of his own. And so there has to be content to your faith and uh, the content is in the mighty God who really is. And this is what Rahab in her confession begins by, by stating the fact that she recognized the might of God. God is almighty. But it doesn't stop there in her confession. She goes on, verse 11, to, uh, to what we're going to call the con convic uh, conviction of faith. So she has content of faith. Now she's got a conviction of faith where we see the majesty of God. Verse 11, we heard of it. When we heard of it, our hearts melted because everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and earth below the majesty of God. He is the God in heaven above and earth below. It's interesting that she, this, uh, this prostitute, uh, pagan in a pagan land, makes this confession because this is supposed to be the confession of the Israelites. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 39. This is, this is the, the confession that the Israelites are to have of, of the majesty of God. Deuteronomy 4.39, acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and earth below. This is the uh, conviction of the Israelites. There's only one God, the God in heaven above and earth below, and he is majestic above all of the, all of the earth and all of the um, pagan uh, gods that, that individuals will make up. Here we see a, a pagan harlot with, uh, with the words of this, uh, this uh, conviction of faith on her lips. Uh, true faith not only sees the truth about God, but it confesses it as truth as well. And that's what she's doing. She's seen the truth about God, and now she confesses it and showing her conviction that he is the only one true and living God. We live in a day and age where uh, especially here in the Western world, uh, there's this idea that uh, truth is, is relative to whoever and uh, that all beliefs are equally true, which is not a, a position anyone can sustain or hold to uh, logically. But they say all beliefs and all religions are, are equal. And therefore, you've got your God, I've got my God. It's not true. Rahab recognizes this. She lives in the pagan land. They have their own gods too. And they may be looking to them to, to uh, uh, help them against the God who is the one true living God to come into their land. They may looking, be looking to them for protection, but they're not going to protect them. She knows it. She knows that there is only one true and living God in heaven and earth. 
And now she's showing her conviction of that. <clears throat> no matter what others might think, there really is only one God, only one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. And that one true God, no matter what others might say, his word teaches us that he exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His word teaches us that he provides salvation through the atoning work of his Son. And therefore, he alone is to receive all honor and glory and praise for our salvation. His name alone is to be the name that is majestic in all the earth. You remember Psalm uh, chapter 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory above the heavens, right? She recognizes this. And so this is a conviction of her faith. I've seen his power. I know a little bit about him, and I recognize that he alone is the one to be given honor and glory and praise because he is the only one true living God in heaven and on earth. Well, which leads her to a third aspect of her, uh, her confession here. We have a, she's seen the might of God. She's got content of, of who he is. Shown the majesty of God, showing that she, she recognizes that he alone is the one true God and to, be, uh, uh, to, to, to have her trust put into. And, and thirdly, we see in verses 13 through, um, 13 through uh, 12 through 13, we've seen the content of her faith, the conviction of her faith, and finally the evidence of her faith when we see uh, the mercy of God here. Um, verses 12 and 13. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters uh, and all who belong to them and that you will save them from death. Here, uh, Rahab uh, comes uh, recognizing the truth about God and recognizing that he is the one true God and, and recognizing that he is all-powerful and he's come to, to uh, bring uh, justice to those whose uh, iniquity has finally become full. And so what does she do at this point? She comes seeing that there's nothing in her that should stop God from pouring out his wrath on her along with all the rest of the inhabitants of the land, what does she do? She comes and she seeks God's mercy. She recognizes her helpless position before God. On her own, all she's going to face is his wrath. It's coming for sure. She knows it. And here she shows her, her faith by seeking the mercy of God. Let me read to you from... Uh, what Dr. Davis says here, he says, uh, <clears throat> here is the evidence of faith. Genuine faith never rests content with being convicted of the reality of God, but it presses on to take refuge in God. Rahab not only must know the clear truth about God, but also must escape the coming wrath of God. It isn't just a matter of correct belief, but of desperate need. Saving faith is always like this. It never stops with brooding over the nature or activity of God, but it always runs to take refuge uh, under his wings. 
Amazingly, Rahab not only trembles before the terror of the Lord, but also senses that there might be mercy in this fearful God. But uh, what but the touch of Yahweh's hand could have created such faith in the heart of this pagan harlot? Our knowledge of God must see His might and His, and His holiness and His righteousness and His justice. Our knowledge of God must know that He cannot uh, have iniquity and injustice in His presence, and yet we are unjust. Our knowledge of God must cause us to see that without His mercy, we are objects only of His wrath. And just like Rahab, our only hope is in His mercy. She seeks it out. and She finds it. And so we see in her confession, we see the content of her faith where she sees something about God. She sees His mind. We see the convic conviction of her faith, recognizing the majesty of God, which is to be the on the lips of all, the, uh, all of God's people, we see from Deuteronomy chapter 4. And finally, we see the evidence of her faith where she comes trusting in God's mercy, seeking it out, not recognizing that that is her only hope to, to not have his wrath poured out on her is to see his mercy. Now, if you recall, a few minutes ago in the introduction... I said, uh, we're, as we look at the story of Rahab here in Joshua chapter 2, we're going to see how the knowledge of the true God affects different people. We've seen how it affected Rahab, right? But I want you to look in the, in the passage with me again. Look with me at uh, verse 9 again. <clears throat> uh, I know the Lord has given this land uh, to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. Not just her. Us. There are others in this land who know it. Um, verse 10. We, not just me, but we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea uh, for you and what... Uh, and, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Rahab is not the only one who knows these things about God. In fact, all of the people of the land have seen his might and they know it. What are they doing with that knowledge? They're building up walls, they're shutting gates. They're saying these walls will protect us. Maybe they're, they're praying to their pagan gods and saying our pagan god will protect us. They've seen the same God and yet they're not turning to Him for mercy. They're continuing to reject Him. We can know all about God. You, you maybe can memorize the entire Bible and, and pass any kind of uh, systematic theology course in seminary. And you can have all the facts right in your head and still be trusting in your own power, in your own strength, that somehow you're going to do enough to not have to face the wrath of God. That's how some people 
approach the knowledge of God. It's not how Rahab did it. That's how the rest of the people there did it, but that's not how she did it. Instead, what did she do? She recognized who God was and, and what that meant for her and that her only hope was to turn to Him and seek out His mercy. This morning, uh, I, I want to know, um, what are you doing with the knowledge of God that you have? Do you recognize that He is an omnipotent God and that He is a just God? And that his justice will be served. And that wrath is coming to all who do not turn to him for mercy. Are you somehow still thinking, I can change his mind by being good enough? No. No, you can't. The wrath is surely coming. And the only hope any of us have is to see the mercy that he gives to all who turn to him. And seek the mercy that he gives us in Christ Jesus. This morning, I hope that that's what, and I trust that that's what everyone in here is believing in and trusting in God's mercy. And in that, we can rejoice. Let's pray.